Well, if you look at the cover of your uh, bulletin, you'll notice there's a new picture there. It's up here on the screen as well. Um, this will be the image that will carry us through the summer, the season um, after Trinity Sunday. Um, we will be looking at the latter portion of the Acts of the Apostles, in particular paying close attention to the Apostle Paul, but some of the other uh, individuals whose lives and ministry is uh, recorded there. And the reason for that is, um, I find just personally, the Anglican lectionary is super awesome from about November until now, and it tells the gospel very well. And then in the summer, the season after Trinity, it gets kind of scattered. So every summer, we've made it our policy here, our practice here, to pick some kind of cre preaching in course. We would either preach through a particular letter of uh, the New Testament or a gospel or whatever. And so this summer, we're going to look at at these uh, accounts from the book of Acts and the idea of being sent and what does it look like to live as God's missionaries, people on mission for God. And it seems fitting because we've just come through a season where we've looked for a while at the newness of life that Christians have because of the resurrection. And then right after that, Pentecost happens and then the Acts of the apostles, it recounts all that happened once they had the Holy Spirit. This message is so good, we are, we are compelled to go and share with others, but how do we do it well? What does that look like? So I think this series will help us evaluate that, and, and this morning, um, we're going to begin with the, the concept of conversion, and I want to suggest to you on the front end that you can't give what you don't have. So if you are sent from God to be a witness to the world, your witness is your entire life. It is who you are. And if you don't have a deep and abiding faith or you are not converted to the Lord, then your witness will be weak at best or even counterproductive. So what you have is what you will witness to. And so this morning I want to look at this idea of being converted, but that word in the evangelical world has been truncated down to a sinner's prayer. And don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of praying as a sinner to the Lord, but by the sinner's prayer, I mean someone shares with you maybe the four spiritual laws or the Romans road, or they tell you their testimony and they invite you to pray to ask Jesus into your heart. And, and maybe you've had a prayer like that and you kind of bow your heads and you say that prayer, and I do think that prayer matters. But then you open your eyes and you think, okay, what changed? And then the next day, you're not all that different than you were the day before. Now some things are at work, and you have just given your will over to Jesus, and you said, I want to follow you, but there are so many habits of your life working against you, and conversion is a point in time, or at least it may be, but it must be a process. It's not just a point in time, it's a process. I was blessed to be at one of Billy Graham's crusades when I was a high school senior, and I, I had no context for what that was. But strangely enough, I was asked to drive a van uh, with some people from a hotel over to the stadium in Pittsburgh because I knew the roads and our church had been recruited to help. So I had a mini, I had like a 15-passenger van, and I, I had no idea who I was driving. If it had been somebody like uh, Jimmy Page or Eddie Van Halen or somebody like that, I would have been all about it. But some guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman gets into my van. I had no idea who he was. We, I take him over to the stadium, and then, lo and behold, he gets up on the stage, and he sings songs and leads worship for like 50,000 people. And the thing about the Billy Graham crusade that was so strange to me as I looked, I looked around is it was clear that a whole lot of work 
had gone in to those people who walked the aisle and made the sinner's prayer there. And it seemed like they got converted right there, but they didn't. There was all this pre-evangelistic work. There was all this stuff that was happening in their life for a long time. And there was an ethos of what happens in a stadium kind of crusade like that. And so they were, they were kind of saving up their sinner's prayer for when Billy Graham would preach. And he's awesome. His sermons were amazing. And then they'd come down and say the sinner's prayer. But see then, discipleship becomes so important. So much so that... Uh, a guy who started these missional communities in Colorado named Hugh Halter, kind of intentionally, he's trying to be provocative. He says, I haven't led a single person to Christ in seven years. By that he means, I haven't truncated conversion down to a sinner's prayer, but rather I've been inviting people into a lifestyle a whole process, a lifestyle that is about transforming not just your will, but also your habits, also your mind, also your loves, your affections, to quote St. Augustine, your affections that are disordered, all of that, bring that into alignment. And so this particular pastor had stopped going for the sinner's prayer as a point of conversion, and he opened it much wider. And I really like that because, you know, the truth of the matter is none of us are converted yet. None of us fully converted yet. There is work that has to be done. So I, I'd invite you, even as I keep preaching through this, this text, think through what parts of your life might not be 100% Jesus's. They don't belong 100% to the Lord. Where are you not yet converted? Because Jesus converts the head, the heart, and the hands. And I'm going to look at all three of those in the Apostle Paul's life. And hopefully you'll think through your head, what you think, your cognitive life, your teaching, what you've learned, the information that's there, as well as your heart, your passions, your desires, your loves, your affections, and then your hands, what you do. You know, quite literally, I mean, I, I, will, I will come over here to the table as we're doing the offertory and with the elements spread out there, I will hold my hands up and I will say, Lord, give me clean hands and a pure heart. I pray that we would behold you in the breaking of bread. I pray something like that silently to myself. But it's an interesting exercise to hold out your hand. I mean, you can do it right now. Just hold, look at your hands and think about what you've done with them in the last seven days. Think about all of the things you do. Are they convert? Are these things that you would be proud of? Are these things that are glorifying to God? Your head, your heart, and your hands. The, the work, the stuff you do. All of that is involved. Now, it has been said by many people that this is the most famous conversion of a Christian in church history. The Apostle Paul, also called Saul, so if I intermix the words, it's the same person, is converted in a very dramatic way. And um, there, it's so important that Luke, who wrote this account, the Acts of the Apostles, has it in there three times. In Acts chapter 9, Luke, as the narrator, tells what happened when Paul got converted. But then again in chapter 22 and chapter 26, in the words of Paul himself, he gives his testimony of what happened when he was converted. It's actually an interesting exercise to look at how he gives testimony and how it's slightly different depending on the audience. One time he's before a king, another time he's before a whole bunch of Jews that are accusing him. It's interesting how he emphasizes certain aspects of his testimony and as you think about what your story is, if you're a Christian, there are different things that you can emphasize when you give testimony that would be more helpful to one audience than maybe a different one. But anyway, there's three accounts in here. And in, um, in Chuck Swindoll's book on the Apostle Paul, he, he titles this chapter, The Violent Capture of a Rebel Will. 
And I just really like that title because Paul was, a, he was powerful and he was deeply in rebellion. Now let's, let's consider something. I just, I just picked the chapter 22 account this morning, but we have to take bits and pieces from the other two chapters, 9 and 26, to get the full picture. Consider Paul's head, his heart, and his hands. In chapter 22, he says, I was raised as a Jew in the strictest sect of Judaism. He was a Pharisee. He trained under a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was like a top scholar. He was well known throughout Jerusalem and in in Palestine in that day. Um, he he thought like a Jew. He knew the scriptures. He had memorized the Old Testament. He reasoned. He was in the synagogues. The Apostle Paul was thoroughly Jewish and believed God is one. He believed things like there's no way God could become a human. There's no way that Jesus could have been God and died. And so he, he had, a, his mind was thoroughly Old Testament but there were some confusing things in there for him. But I'll get to that in a second. So, but his head was Jewish doctrine. His heart, he says, I was zealous for the faith. If you go back to chapter 9, it says he was breathing threats against the Christian church. Or if you go to chapter 26, it says that he was raging with fury. His heart was passionately committed to his mission. He wasn't just in it like punching a clock. This guy was thinking about this around the clock and was passionate. And then his hands, he was his work, he got up in the morning and he went to work and his work was this, persecute the, the Christian sect and try to bring them back into conformity to Judaism. And he had authority from the leaders to do this. That was his job. So that's where he was. Now in this conversion, when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, a glorious flashing light, so bright, so powerful that he and all his companions fall to the ground. It is it is, Jesus is so alive, he actually knocks him down. And then he's blinded for three days. And in the midst of this flash of light, he hears, he hears Jesus speak to him. And later in a testimony, he says he's seen the righteous one. He saw Jesus. It actually was one of the requirements to be a capital A apostle. So as one untimely born, he says, or last, at last, he came to me. So the Apostle Paul saw Jesus, heard the voice, and saw his glory in this flash of light. All this happens, and then there's a change. If you looked at verse 14, it says, uh, Ananias, who is a Christian who prays for Paul, says, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Okay, there's head. To know what the will of God is. To know his will. To see the righteous one. So now you understand something about who Jesus is. He's learning more. Again, it's more up here in the head. To see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. That is totally changing Paul's thinking. His head is being converted. And then consider his heart. Um, by the time he's an apostle, Paul's passion for persecuting the church has become a deep passion for converting people to Christ. So much so that he says, I am in unceasing anguish for my brothers, the Jews. He says in Romans 9, 2 and 3, he says, Oh, that I could be accursed so that they could be saved. I don't even know how he could be that, I guess, loving, self-sacrificial, willing to give up his own salvation and be cursed for their sake so that they would be saved. 
But thanks be to God, Jesus was cursed for our sakes so that we could all be saved, and Paul is not the Messiah. But his heart became so passionately committed to the cause of giving witness to Christ that he says things like that. And then consider his hands. Now, in uh, chapter 22, um, it says that he's going to be a witness. He will be a witness to Jesus. But in chapter 9, it says that he will be a chosen instrument of God. So he's becoming an apostle. He will become a missionary. And there are some specific things to Paul that are not the same to us. So none of us are capital A apostles. He and the others were given the job of writing the doctrine of Christianity, of explaining what Jesus had taught them and what it means for us. So that's done. There are no more capital A apostles. He also, Paul, was specifically sent as a missionary to the Gentiles. So he went and traveled all over, three missionary journeys all over Asia Minor at great personal expense and hardship. Some are called to that kind of global missions work. Not all are. But there are some things about his conversion that are, that are helpful. One is it is a process and not just a point in time. In chapter 26, the Lord says to him in the, in the flash of light, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what a goad is? I, you know, I, I know it because I've looked it up before. I've never used a goad. But it's a pointy stick or a sharp pointy piece of metal that's on a plow. And the farmer can use it to goad the ox on and push it. And it would jab him in the behind his legs, and then the ox would start walking. Well, if he kicks back against it, he's kicking into a sharp point. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. What are these goads? Well, we have to speculate a little bit, but John Stott gives a list of a few. He says one of the goads is probably his doubts. Yes, he'd heard these rumors of miracles, the teaching of Jesus, how he's turned the entire Middle East on its head. All this stuff that Jesus was doing and all that he was saying. He also had, probably had some doubts about the scriptures. You know, he knew that Old Testament. But you read through Isaiah, and if you don't know about Jesus, it's weird that about halfway through Isaiah, it goes from talking about a king to a suffering servant who's the same figure. And, and that's hard. Like, how does that even work? Right? So there's some, there, if Paul was honest, there were some questions in his theology, some doubts maybe, or some misunderstandings. And then he watched and gave witness to the first martyr, Stephen, and gave testimony to this, and he even held the clothing, the cloaks of the men who were stoning him, and he watched Stephen forgive his murderers and graciously look up to heaven and yield his life with such peace and joy. I'm sure that was one of the goads that Paul was kicking against. He saw that happen. Another one that John Stott says is, um, uh, actually, I don't know if it's necessarily John Stott here, but um, the idea of covenanting. When the law came in, Paul says in Romans 7, he's, if you think of the Ten Commandments, you can have an external righteousness. Has anyone in here murdered anyone this week? I hope not. Has anybody committed adultery? I hope not. You could go through and say, have I told any lies? Have I stolen anything? But you get to coveting. And there's no external kind of form to that. It's a heart issue entirely. And so Paul says, when the, when, the, when the commandment entered in, thou shalt not covet, sin in me took over and I coveted everything. And it's not just simply wanting, but it's like wanting as though it could be the, the thing that satisfies your life. So he starts craving all sorts of stuff. Well, that was his experience, and he confesses to it in Romans later as a Christian, but that's one of the things that was working on him. He was trying to be perfect to those commandments, and he gets to covenanting, and he's like, eh, I know what's in my heart. It's inside. There's no way externally I can, I can live 
righteously because it's all about the inside. All this was working on him before the flash of light. For you, if you are a Christian, you can think back to some of the things that were in place before you would say you became a Christian. God was working on you. Jesus was pursuing you. He's the seeker. If you're not yet a Christian, I would guess he's been working on you for a long time. And you can think of some things that in your life that have been happening, maybe are happening right now. You might be having one of those right now where you're like, I wasn't going to go to church today, but so-and-so invited me. You come in here and then it's like, what's going on, right? That's the Lord in this process of converting you. But once you get to that place of saying a prayer and giving your life to the Lord, things have to continue to be different. The process goes on until you go to be with him in glory. It's not something that you kind of just do and check out. So even look at Paul. It's so interesting to me in in chapter 9, it says that he was blinded for three days and he said, I ate nothing. Why? He was blind. His eyes didn't work, but his mouth worked fine. Why didn't he eat anything? Well, he was nurturing the experience. He was processing it. He was peeling away distractions. And I think there's something instructive for us here that in his case, through prayer and fasting and three days of darkness, he peeled away distractions so he could focus on the Lord. The classic Christian disciplines are useful in conversion. They help us get to the place where we understand what maybe isn't converted or what God is doing to listen better. So he spends three days fasting and praying, it says in chapter 9. He's praying. Now, he was a Jew, so he prayed the prayers seven seven times a day and all this different stuff for all of his life. But he was praying in a different way now. He was talking to someone who was resurrected, who had talked to him first. It was a different moment of prayer for Paul. He spends three days doing that. But he's not fully converted yet. He tells us in Galatians 1 that then he went and spent three years in Arabia. He went out into the desert where like the Essenes and probably John the Baptist and others went to pray, to do spiritual battle, to try to convert themselves or give themselves over to the Lord. Three years. I mean, he basically had to go back and redo his seminary work because now that he knew who the Messiah was and this whole idea of God is one, but now there's three in one. Like that, that whole thing was hard. So he went, he went out in the desert and he rethought his entire theology. He had to do all of that. And then he began to go and do missions work and tell people and give glory to God and preach. And he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews. So he's converting not only his, his head, but now he's beginning to convert his life and become that witness to the faith. He says, after 14 years, I went up and met with the others in Jerusalem. I wanted to make sure I wasn't running in vain or preaching the wrong thing. So even then, he was still growing in skill, growing in ability. For him, it was this process. Conversion is a process. There may be a point in time for you. You might be able to identify the moment where Jesus broke into your life, like Paul could say on the road to Damascus. But I hope you can also say, there are all these things that have been happening and continue to happen. I am being converted. It must be a process. Now, all through the Bible, it talks about putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Colossians 3 is a great place to look at that. But there are some intentional things that we do to help ourselves become more and more like Christ. And in this church, we have a, we're working on our discipleship process, and you'll hear more about this. We're going to get really clear on this as a church. But Sunday worship is important. And in this particular church, we do things intentionally. There is not much that happens in here that is just accidental. 
everything from the procession as we constitute ourselves in God's presence to the breaking of bread to the hearing, how, how we preach, all that stuff, it's intentional and it's formative. It's meant to form us in a certain way. It's meant to transform habits and make other habits. So we start to learn on Sunday morning how to worship with God's people, understanding that the other six days of the week, we learn how to worship him privately or in our homes or at our workplace or through all that we do. So Sunday worship is really important. And then being in a smaller group, a small group where you learn to pray and interact and talk about the faith and and care for one another and the church, be the church and love one another. And then serve. So that's through mercy and mission as well as places of service in the church. When we intentionally start to do these things, we are we are partnering with the process of conversion. It's possible to avoid those things and your faith will be stunted. You won't grow. If you, if you looked at your life and said, am I 100% converted or where am I not converted? There is work involved and those things, Sunday worship, small groups, service, those things will start to bring your life into alignment. Just because you think something does not mean you can right away do it. You think you should run every morning. You think you should eat good food, but your habits are against you. And the spiritual practices of Christianity help bring your life into conformity with the process of transformation. So our process, our pathway is Sunday worship, small group ministry, service to the church and the world. And then there's a last step where you get to the place of intentionality of bringing others along through their process. Once you get to that place, you are now a disciple maker You're not just a disciple, you're a disciple who is making other disciples. That's the Lord's will for all of us, that we would get to that place of maturity, that we would be that kind of a witness, that we'd be able to help others come along that process on which we've been coming maybe a little further. Maybe we've traveled just a little longer. And the church will continue to grow as a result of that. The church universal. And may it be so. But consider now as we pray, what might not be converted in you and what you can do to start reforming those habits. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, again, I wanna thank you for the Apostle Paul. I wanna thank you for this account of his conversion. And we give you our lives, what we think, what we love in our heart, what we do with our hands and our feet and our resources and everything. Lord, we know that your kingdom is worthy. We know that you've called us. Now would you help us see how we can be fully converted to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.